0: Welcome to another episode of Chabad House Conversations podcast. We talk to different members of our community here on Long Island about life, Jewish life, family life, whatever it is that gets you inspired, we try and share with you the lives of some of our community members. And I'm thrilled to be here today with Dana Arshin. She is just a light of Jewish positivity. I know her from many years and heard about her amazing Encounters with Chabad on campus throughout her years in college and beyond as well, and Dana is an amazing person. She is—I'm a little intimidated because she's a media person myself herself, and so uh, I'm just a novice podcaster. And here we are, Dana, and Dana is a two-time Emmy-winning journalist, and she's been reporting in New York for 12 years. She started at News 12 for six years, then Fox 5 for six years, and now. I think it's the best position she's ever had, and she might be able to confirm that. She's a storyteller at the Holocaust Memorial and Tolerance Center of Nassau County. We're going to abbreviate that to the HMTC for the rest of the podcast, I think. Mm -hmm. And she is now the storyteller at just an amazing institution uh, right here on Long Island in Nassau County on the Gold Coast, the North Shore of Nassau County, the Holocaust Memorial and Tolerance Center. And, uh, Dana, thanks for coming on.
1: Rabbi, thank you so much for having me. I feel like you could be a storyteller. You just summed up my life so beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> um, well,
0: I love storytelling, so that's why we—that's kind of why we do Chabad House Conversations. It's like keep the stories going, people's narratives of their lives, lives of their families that maybe wouldn't get told otherwise. And, uh, you know, I encounter such interesting people like yourself that I think that this, your personal story needs to be shared. And I know you share so many people's personal stories, but maybe your story is not told. So I thought maybe sharing that with our our listeners would be awesome.
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you. And just any opportunity I have to get HMTC on the map, that's one of my main goals here, so to be able to talk about the museum. Uh, you know, we're doing incredible, incredible work. So, again, just thankful for the opportunity. I'm excited for our conversation. Absolutely. Wait, I do have to say my husband's going to be mad because my married name is actually Kraslow. That's my legal name, uh, but I go by Arshin professionally. But right. I, I like to give the Kraslow name some, you the you know, give, give it some love. That's right. Well. So, so okay. tell us your husband? My husband, Mike, who Mike. you had a chance to meet. Absolutely. Great I guess guy. we should tell everyone. So you and I first met here at the museum at... An amazing event amazing. Um, a few Absolutely. months back where the Chief Rabbi of Israel came here and you and I connected immediately. You have this Absolutely. also this big personality you're so easy to talk to. Thank and then you. you invited me to Shabbat at your home. Absolutely. Um, my schedule is crazy. <laughs> I think I gave you a date like two months in advance, Yeah, right? we,
0: we've had a few dates between us <laughs> so to try and get this done.
1: Um, but you, had, you and your beautiful wife and your family had Thank me you. and uh, my husband and two kids over, beautiful. and uh, it was just such a special evening. It was a wonderful
0: evening. It was yeah. great. It was great to meet your other half, and uh, so he's just a great guy too. He's like one of the guys that would like chill out with college, in college. Uh, I, he'd be like my butt, like he'd be like my friend in college. You
1: guys can still chill out now.
0: We can definitely chill out now. We you definitely, definitely hit it off. We definitely so hit it off. Too. It was scary a little bit actually. I wish like we I know, had in common like I know. shared past and history. A few age, year different. Few years, age difference, but other than that, absolutely. Yeah. It was great. So tell us about your kids. Yes.
1: They're so awesome. um, and I'll tell you the Holocaust significance with my kids as well, um, which will kind of lead into why this work is so special. Sure. So I have a three and a half year old named. Maya Uh, her Hebrew name is Yehudit Arona and I have a 10-month-old named Harlow and her Hebrew name is uh, Chaya and Maya was actually named after uh, Yehudit is my husband's maternal grandmother who passed away and Arona is my poppy's youngest brother who was seven years old wow. when he was murdered in the holocaust wow. and he um, he was the only one in my family i had found out who had never had anyone named after him so he was my really? great uncle wow. so i had always heard about my poppy who was an auschwitz survivor and we'll get to that about my poppy's younger brother and I decided I wanted to name my my child after him. That's great. And it's funny. His name was Aaron, but his birth certificate, which I found, actually says Arona on it. So uh, if I had a boy, it was going to be Aaron, Hebrew name, hmm. and a girl, Arona. And I went into labor two weeks early. I had <laughs> Maya, named her, you know, Yehudita Arona. Right. And weeks later, I was at my poppy's house, and I said, you know what? Why don't I pull up Aaron's birth certificate? I haven't looked at it in a long time and I started crying hysterically mm. because Aaron was born on July 27th, 1932 and Maya who pushed her way out of me 2 weeks <laughs> early was born on July 27th, 2019. Wow. So she shares a birthday with her namesake. That's so powerful. And I've been talking about Aaron for so long leading up to her birth, saying, you know, I just discovered him and Um, I mean, if that's not a sign that this little boy is living on through her, I don't know what is. And then Harlow, I have almost identical labors. I went into labor literally literally at the same exact time at 14 days to my due date, almost 5 o'clock p.m., identical. Um, My water broke with both. Uh, I go into labor and I give birth on Holocaust Remembrance Day, Yom HaShoah, in the spring. So it was just, it's its incredible. I mean, what are the odds? So yeah. I feel like that's every sign from the universe that yeah. this is what I'm meant to be doing. Such
0: blessings Hashem has given you. It's amazing. Thank and such know. confirmation. Mm-hmm. In the chesed, we call it hashgacha pratis, which means divine providence. There's divine synchronicity in everything we do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't see, mostly you don't see it. The Baal Shem Tov taught, like a leaf falling off a tree, where it goes left and right and falls down from a tree... That has divine synchronicity. How much more so when you see the birthdays of your children
1: yeah.
0: in the confluence of beautiful and powerful events in your life. That's what we call the yeah. divine providence.
1: That's As beautiful. I get older, I'm starting to believe in all that more and more.
0: You yeah. see it. You just I see it. Mean, if your eyes are open and you're... you're as they say in the, the the psychological your doors of perception are open, you see Hashem in every detail and every nuance of your life.
1: But so you're a rabbi and I don't wanna put you on the spot, but no, like no. growing <laughs> up I, I always felt like and I always believed that there was something, but how you know you know, and a lot of survivors I interview, like how could there be a God right. who would let six million mm. Jews die and millions of other innocent victims, or, you know, it's easy for me to say, yeah, of course there's a God, and of course everything's meant to be, because I have this beautiful privileged life, but if I was in a concentration camp, would I be saying everything's meant to be? So, you know, it was hard for me, like, growing up to, to, as the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor with a number tattooed on his arm, Mm. to just really understand, I don't know, how how I felt about religion and Mm. and. Um, I was always so proud to be a cultural, traditional Jew. Like I was always so proud of my heritage and my ancestors, mm-hmm. where I came from. But as I get older, I end, and I see the significance with the birthdays, and I went back to Poland and found my great-great-grandfather's grave. All of that kind of started to pull me in again, and wow. I, I I I feel like a pull from the universe now that I just can't explain. That's amazing.
0: The... um. But you also got married by a
1: rabbi so you're you're are you're, you're,
0: you're i think that you're more of a believer than you let on well it's bit. not
1: that i'm not a believer i believe it's just it's it's hard to fathom you know, what happened right. to our well, people
0: right there's a, the i mean the the easy and worst answer to give is is that how could you not if you could fathom the holocaust if you could fathom the horrors our people have been through—something's yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. You know, something's there's something's missing in your in your yeah. humanity bone, wherever that is in your consciousness. If you think that like you can rationalize or mm-hmm. understand the Holocaust somewhere, I mean, I don't think anyone yeah. should or try.
1: It was also crazy if the Holocaust didn't happen, I would not be here because my poppy would have never you know wow. had to leave his country. Mm-hmm. He would have never mm-hmm. moved here and met my that's, grandma. That's so right. it's just. I, I, it's right. so, yeah, have you ever like, heard
0: this story and I wanted to ask you this and you brought it up by putting me on the spot quote unquote, <laughs> which I don't feel put on the spot but the story of when they put God on trial in the holocaust
1: mm. you know what I'll, it doesn't sound yeah, so unfamiliar but I can't so no. I think this
0: might give us an answer without giving us an answer so at one point they decided in I believe it was in Auschwitz they put God on trial who's
1: they? the prisoners? Oh, the
0: Jews who were in the camp mm-hmm. the rabbis and there were some rabbis who argued for, and there were some rabbis who argued against. And took so every night, whatever mustered energy they could muster up to be able to put God on trial and have a, a, a court case, they brought him a what's called the Din Torah. They brought God to a rabbinic judgment according to the Torah. And they argued day in, day out. And after a week of deliberation, they came to the base din, the three Jewish men sitting on the court, and they got the verdict. And they said, the verdict is, they questioned, is God real? Is God here? Is God in Auschwitz? How could God let this happen? These are all the arguments, as you could imagine, that we all wrestle with. I'm sure you wrestle with on a daily basis on some level, being a child of a, survi- a grandchild of a survivor and doing the amazing work you do. They said, is God here? And the answer was, no. God is not here. We don't believe God's here. And then they got up. And they prayed the evening service. So what does it show us? It shows us that the one hand, they can't fathom it. God was not there with them. They didn't feel it. They didn't connect to it. They couldn't wrap their mind around it. The horrors and everything else that came with it, how could they? But then they prayed the evening service. They prayed to that same God they didn't believe in, sort of say. That same God that seemingly had abandoned them, they still prayed to. And I think that is like shows on the...
1: The but was it maybe God Jewish wasn't spirits. there
0: with them, but God was somewhere else. No, but God, the same, if God wasn't there, where are they praying to him? He's praying to a, a, an omniscient, omnipresent God, and a God that's everywhere in everything. But they could not bring themselves to adjudicate. Like in a court of law, you're right, God was not there. In a court of law, legally, how could God be here? How could he do this to his quote unquote chosen people? How could he do this to any peer person or any group of people on such a scale, in such Horrors, how could he? But then let's pray to him. Then let's say like, our actions belie a different reality yeah. than the one that we're experiencing. Our minds and our hearts are experiencing something different than what our bodies experience. And so I think that that, that kind of gives us the entire perspective of, I think, like the Jewish experience on a whole. Like we can't make sense of this, and we try to, we're lost. But at the same time, we're still praying. We still do the mitzvahs. We still have a Chabad rabbi marry us. We Mm -hmm. still go to Shabbat dinners. We still do Jewish stuff, even if we can't make sense of it. Mm -hmm. We still believe in a God that's not maybe made to be made sense of. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing.
1: I think for me, it's just I love participating in traditions that I know that my ancestors did for mm-hmm. generations before mm-hmm. me. Like let you. anyone listening who might be unfamiliar, because I'll be sharing this with all you know my followers, you know, usually it's the women who, or it's always the women who light the candles on Shabbat. Right. So I think it's beautiful when I do that, knowing that my grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother mm-hmm. before me. So um, it, it's not to say that I do or don't believe in God. I, right. uh, it's more just for me, I love carrying on the traditions and knowing that I'm doing something that my ancestors were persecuted for doing. So no. it's kind of like my revenge to the Nazis. Absolutely. Right?
0: Absolutely. That's, a, that's amazing. And, you know, it says action is the main thing. So mm-hmm. your actions are your grandmother's actions. Mm-hmm. Your great-grandmother's actions are actions since Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. I mean, you're stepping into their shoes. Mm-hmm. Every Jew has this amazing background of literally probably hundreds, if not thousands, generations, people who step into the same place on Friday evening and light like Shabbat candles. So you're stepping into that place. Yeah. So that's that's that connection that's that thread that you're you're bringing into the present and you're winning that's the winning against the nazis that's the that's the version of of you presently that is really a version that's a composite of all those generations yeah. you know we're like a small person on the shoulders of giants so tell us about your poppy i mean like you know what brought you to like such like a vision of who you wanted to be, using your amazing media capabilities, using your storytelling and the narratives. And, you know, I love narrative therapy and I think it's cathartic probably for people to tell their stories through you. And the fact that you get to like stand as like this front line to bring these narratives to contemporary the contemporary world is just amazing. So what got you started? Where how did you begin?
1: like my career and broadcast career in general and then how I got here or yeah. just with with my Poppy and you can talk tell it all, so yeah. how you
0: feel about it wherever so you want to talk.
1: I, well definitely you know focusing on the Holocaust was a very gradual thing for me and it's funny I have you know I've Friends that I grew up with, who said, who always knew that my grandpa was a survivor, but they said to me, "Like I don't remember you talking about it so much, like the way you do now." Mm. Um, and yeah, so it was something I started to talk about more and more as I got older. But it was always ingrained in me. And I, I do presentations for classrooms, or I used to more more often. And I would start by saying that you know most people, the first number they ever recognize or remember is you know a phone number. For me, the first number I ever memorized was my poppy's number on his arm, 143499. And he would always sit me on his lap and show it to me and say, look at my... There was never any shame or ever Mm. trying to hide it. Um, He didn't talk about the war, but he always showed me his number. And he'd always made sure that I knew it. And I remember doing like Holocaust projects when I was in like 8th grade, even 5th grade. Um, I, I remember always feeling connected to it. I remember when my poppy was... Interviewed by Steven Spielberg Shoah Foundation. Mm. Yeah, Spielberg went around interviewing about 50,000 survivors. If, if that number is accurate if I remember correctly, um, wow. I believe it was about 50, 55,000 survivors and uh, had volunteers go and do the interviews. So we have that. And you know it was always something that was a big part of who I was, but I, I don't know if I understood that it was my identity or part of my identity at that time. I definitely uh, was always really proud to be Jewish. I grew up in an area that had a lot of Jews. Um, Where mo- did you grow up? In Jericho. In and Jericho. Most people went to the Reformed synagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, my family went to the conservative synagogue, so I I was in school with ten kids, where everyone else was like ninety kids in the grade in Hebrew school. So I went three days a week. That was
0: before we were there in our Chabad house. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, Jericho, right where you are now. So I went t- after school to Hebrew school on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Mm-hmm. Now it's just days one days a day week. a week yeah. everywhere, even at wow. the were- Uh, So I had a great Jewish education. I'm not going to lie. I loved, like, we would jump out the window and hide from the (laughs) rabbi. And there were were some fun times in Hebrew school as well. But um, it was definitely a little more religious and observant than the other ones. And I grew up in a semi-kosher home. Uh, my mom would uh, we would bring a non-kosher food but put it on plastic and paper plates so as to not unkosher our dishes right. in our kitchen. The
0: American conservative yes, Jewish but experience. you know
1: what? Right. I, I appreciated that because right. it was my mom doing as best as she could do, right? Right. right. Um, you know, that's that was what she felt like mm-hmm. she could do and, and it was honest and real and, and it 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 was enough. I mean, look, I, I'm very tied to right. to to my Judaism. So, um, yeah, when I went to college. I got very involved with Chabad, which it was really cool, actually, to be part of the Chabad go? at where the University go? of Delaware. Delaware, Rabbi um, Snyderman. I actually went there as a Spanish major. Did you really? I did, oh, wow. and one of the main reasons I went was because I... I was the president of Spanish Honor Society in high school. I was like a total Spanish nerd. <laughs> um, I got a 100 on my Spanish regents. And, and I just knew that I wanted to study Spanish, but I didn't know what I was going to combine it with. Wow. And uh, I was doing all this research, and Delaware had like these incredible study abroad programs. Actually, one of the largest study abroads in the country, which I don't really? think a lot of people know. The only school at that time that had on all seven continents a study abroad, including Antarctica, Wow. And I was fascinated, and I actually wound up studying abroad in Costa Rica my freshman year, that's in cool. Mexico my sophomore year, and in Spain my junior year, and I lived with host families all three that's so cool. times. And then I wound up combining with journalism. You want, like, that whole story, No, that's cool. Out? That's
0: amazing. Like, uh, you put my Spanish to shame. I placed out of, like, two semesters of Spanish. I was pretty good, but I was never that level. I
1: should mention. And my- I did tour
0: Costa Rica and Mexico, <laughs> backpacking, speaking fluent Spanish.
1: Amazing. But when I
0: became religious, I lost it completely.
1: You just, tienes que hablar
0: Law, I started to, learning Giddish. You just have to practice all the to? time. <laughs>
1: my, my dad speaks fluent Spanish. I should mention oh, he does never it? he taught himself, um, wow. and then he was a Spanish teacher. So cool. He's an immigration lawyer, um, so definitely. So helped. you paired
0: it with journalism. You had the Spanish journalism, so and then funny, journalism took you to where you are. I at. didn't
1: even know want, I wanted. to. I, I say like, oh, I, I, I wanted to be a journalist starting in fifth grade because I was actually chosen to be um, my. In fifth grade, they created the first ever uh, TV station at my school, Jackson Elementary. Wow. And they chose three anchors and two reporters out of the whole grade, and I was one of the reporters. And I still have the original clips. How
0: great is that? So, That's so I cool. show
1: them a lot, and it's really fun to be like, yeah, it started in fifth grade. Actually, at my bat mitzvah, they said, Dana's told me she wants to be a talk show host. Really? So apparently, at one point, I really did do that want or want that. Um, but I got to college, and I actually wanted to write. I wanted right. to write TV shows, like be behind the scenes. Right. And I applied for an internship at NBC. And my dad had an immigration client who had a daughter who worked in the NBC newsroom who called me and said, I can get you an internship in the newsroom. And I was like, oh, gosh, I never watched the news. I'm, I'm 18. I don't <laughs> but of course, I would that? never turn down an NBC internship. Right, and sure, I said, that would great. be incredible. Amazing. And that summer is after my sophomore year, I fell in love with the news industry. I just thought it was incredible to, one, just learn and become an expert on a different topic every day. You never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to talk to, what you're going to learn. It was just so exciting. And I got to shadow reporters in the field. I was at 30 Rock. I would um, interview. um, Sometimes I would actually be out on Long Island shadowing the Long Island reporter, and he'd send me to do interviews. And I would also sit at the assignment desk and pick up calls, and I just loved it. So um, I hadn't combined Spanish with anything at that point. So I started emailing Delaware. I'm like, can I please get into this journalism class? And they said, you needed all these prereqs. And I said, please, I'll do anything. I learned so much this summer. And this professor, Ralph Bedweiter, who was a longtime CNN foreign affairs correspondent, really a brilliant man, brilliant journalist, he was teaching this class and he let me in. Long story short, I was the least experienced because I had never taken a broadcast right. class like everyone else. And at the end of the semester, you had to vote everyone in like for the final show, like anchor, reporter. Mm-hmm. I was voted in as a behind-the-scenes like, TV um, camera girl. <laughs> That's how inexperienced I was, right. and I actually think I'm the only one that wound up working on air it, from, that, actual journalism. from that right. class. It's no, amazing. I think a few of them worked in journalism, right. but oh, wow. um, so anyway. So then I joined the student television network. I was on the student radio. Um, a station. I was, like, one of those girls who was super annoying and involved in everything. You know, total overachiever. <laughs> I feel like you kind of
0: have to be that to be a journalist. You on do. Some level. You have to yeah. be, like, a go-getter. You have to be motivated. You have to, like, push some buttons and the other people I remember just, like, always calling my mom, and Absolutely. she's like, where are you
1: walking to now on campus? I'm like, I'm going to this club and this club right. and this club. I just, like, I've always been like that.
0: So after, how did you transition from working in mainstream media to the Holocaust Memorial and Tolerance Center? Like, what was that, like, how did you do that? Like,
1: yeah, that's, so um so just Quickly, in grad school, I um, started a—my my thesis project was um, a short film on Holocaust survivors. Mm. And I went around Long Island right. interviewing different survivors, and that's really where I was like, oh, my God, I need to do more of this. I went to News 12— And I did a two-part series on survivors there, went to Fox, and I just, at that point, had so many, you know, I've always been, like, pretty well-connected, and just, unlike you, I just, I talk to anyone and everyone, and um, people would start pitching me incredible stories about survivors, and Fox was just like News 12 was, they were really receptive to it, and let me do any story I wanted, and then i um went to my boss and told him that i wanted to go on march of the living hmm. which is a trip to poland where you visit all the camps and you march with about 10,000 people Powerful. through auschwitz and I said, can I bring a camera with me and, and shoot the whole thing by myself? And I had a, I had my own cameraman and editors at Fox, but That's I was great. like, I want to go do this on my own. And, oh, really? And they said yes, and wow. I brought my equipment for eight days. I was recording every second of the day. Um, I put three short films together when I got back home. I, one of them won an Emmy. One got nominated for an Which Emmy. Which one won the Emmy? Uh, it's called The Forgotten Camps, and that wow. was the first piece I did. And it was about basically all the different uh, camps that or a lot of the different camps that existed in Poland. That we Poland. don't know about,
0: like the Nava, That, not- that Kyrgyn- we might not know about, or, Auschwitz.
1: or like Bel- Belgics. You know, everyone pronounces it different. Um, right. uh, some say Belzic, some say Belchick. Um, But that was a camp with only two known survivors. So Auschwitz, while... M- more men, women, and children Vegas, were murdered in right. Auschwitz than any other camp. Right. More survived from Auschwitz because of how big it was wow. and how they needed people for forced labor. So, so that's why we more hear about
0: records, it. Right.
1: Right. So Amazing. I went to Majdanek, um, another camp where they have uh, just pounds of uh, human ashes piled up high that are still preserved wow. there. So um, that was an incredibly eye-opening experience. Can and we I've still see your so films? Are they yeah, online yeah. Or yeah. or on Vimeo or on YouTube? Yeah, actually, if you just, or... like, Google Dana Arshin, I have a Weebly website. I haven't bought it yet. It's right. Com. Okay, I cool. probably should buy a domain soon. But... <laughs> um, yeah, I have all my videos. Oh, posted that's great. There.
0: That's yeah. great. So maybe I'll post it when I put the podcast up. Oh, up I'll that put you link. Link you. that. Oh, definitely. link Absolutely. Would be great. Thank you. That's yeah. so great.
1: So, um, and then I start. I, I got a bunch of other um, Emmy nominations while I was there. Tell and, us about uh, them. Come on. You no, no, it's up. I, I did some incredible, incredible stories, and I got to the point where, like, this is all I wanted to do. i was so passionate about it. And I was doing it really on my own time. You know, I worked this uh, weekend shift where I would, you know, do these headline updates of whatever was going on. And then I would spend the rest of my shift writing my Holocaust scripts and sitting with an editor. And if I didn't have that, I don't know when I would get it done because they couldn't take me away from day of news. So um, I wanted to do more, but I couldn't really find the time for it. And I knew I was going to have another baby, and I just didn't know how I was going to keep working these crazy long days, commuting from Long Island to the city. I used to live in the city, so Mm -hmm. life was very easy then, and then we moved out to Long Island. You uh, moved right
0: to Port Washington where you are now? We
1: moved right to Port Washington, Mm -hmm. which we love. And uh, the commute was getting really tough. And um, I was putting my daughter, Maya, to bed at nine o'clock at night just so I could see her. Wow. You know, I'd be live at 12, five, and six every day for the past few years that I was working, um, especially when the pandemic started. And traffic home at that hour, I mean, I was lucky. If I got home by eight, it was just crazy. So, um, but I wasn't going to leave everything I worked so hard for. And I would have gone back if this perfect opportunity didn't present itself. But I was like, this isn't sustainable. And, 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 And I have to say, I had the most incredible experience. I wouldn't take away one day that I spent at Fox and News 12. seems that like they were very supportive of you. incredibly right. we left on the best of terms. Um, That's great. I, I, you know I only have the most incredible things to say about them That's great. and um, but I just couldn't you know with, with we'll two kids right. and commuting from the city and the long days I just couldn't see how that would work out long term. Right. So um, I started thinking, okay I want to tell Holocaust stories? Where can I tell Holocaust stories? Mm-hmm. I started setting up calls with a bunch of different Holocaust museums. And it's funny, I didn't think I would want to actually come to this one because it was small and I had, you know, these ambitions of going big. Uh-huh. And after speaking to them, I was like, wow, I'm like, they need me more oh, than a big wow. museum because these big museums have their own PR companies. Right. and And they were really excited. Andrea Bolander was the chair at the time; she's incredible. And she was like, "We are going to make this happen." So I pitched myself as the first ever storyteller. So So shooting, writing, editing the same high-quality stories that were airing on Fox, but instead of airing on TV, blasting them out all over social media and digital platforms. That's amazing. As a way to reach everyone, but most, you know, uh, importantly, the younger generations who don't really know that much about the Holocaust right. and you know my stories are getting 50 to 100,000 views I've I've only finished two long form pieces so far each mm-hmm. one takes me about four months I wow. just started here in September right. um, but I do short versions too so every survivor I interview at the end of the interview I do a special like Instagram type segment right 15 you to 30 seconds you need
0: to do seconds. it today for uh, attention
1: spans and, right and and those I mean I, I show uh, survivors talking about their numbers wow. uh, another survivor had the original yellow star that mm. her uncle was I forced to that, wear yeah. on his uh-huh. on his uniform on his clothing so I mean the people I'm meeting are incredible That's and my jaw drops every time I'm always like oh okay it's another Auschwitz survivor I know story. the story and then it's, oh, right. it's just, it's incredible. And I never regret. And I, I do interviews almost every week. And mentally, it's exhausting. Absolutely. Um, and emotionally, imagine. it takes a toll. Right. But every time right. I show up, I never regret being there. Absolutely. So, um, and in a nutshell, that's what I'm doing. I so you now. became so like I'm an there.
0: activist for it because it's like, I mean, you're in a beautiful, I mean, this, where we're sitting right now is very idyllic on like the North Shore of Long Island. It's a beautiful, like, preserver all around us. But, you know, to bring attention to this, like, nook of, like, Long Island and, like, especially the Holocaust and bringing it to such a Jewish area that doesn't know about it. Like, I grew up in Long Island, didn't know there was anything like this, really, on Long Island. And then even as a rabbi, I didn't necessarily know how, you know, vast what the impact that you could have was using this memorial as something to tell people's stories and narratives. And, you know, that's, that's just amazing. That's, like you're taking the narratives of like so many people that maybe aren't addressed and bringing it to more people and bringing it to kids these days and putting it on Instagram yeah, and putting it on places where maybe the Holocaust hasn't crept in yet into there. You know, like when I was a kid, like conservative and reformed Judaism was all like Holocaust pretty much. And that's what I was given. And now I don't know the kids are given that to the same degree. And I don't know that people, and I think that the narrative has to like catch up with the cacophony of Twitter and Instagram and all these things. I think that's what you're doing. So I see you as somebody who took something like a seed it's growing into a tree as far as bringing that to more and more people.
1: Thank you for saying that. That's actually amazing. That's really my goal. So my number one goal is to keep survivor stories alive and to make sure their legacies live on forever. My number two goal is just to put this museum on the map. That's great. And to hit people with these stories. That's awesome. Um, What's interesting is I kind of always felt that I would maybe lose my status by you know people say oh you're on TV you're on Fox and everyone's trying to you know, oh, pitch themselves, and, and they, they treat you a certain way because, you know, it's true. I would go right. to restaurants, right. and, you know, we're a local news station. Still, people would come up to me, oh, you're on Fox right. 5, Absolutely. Blah, 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 Absolutely. Um, and I thought that people would be less interested in me. Hmm. And to be honest, my, my Instagram account is growing wildly. That's more, amazing. More in just the past wow. few months than ever before. You invested in yourself so,
0: and in your, yeah. your story and what your abilities are and your interests are, and it paid off. Like, that's an amazing thing.
1: And I think you see, like, you know, my husband started a recycling company a few years ago, but he wasn't really passionate about recycling. He just (laughs) saw it as a really good business opportunity. Right. didn't last long. Um, I mean, he he has amazing ideas, but, you know, I said to him, I was like, you need to find something that you're you know, I talk to you. You don't seem passionate about recycling, right? Like, but I, I actually am passionate about recycling. Okay, I'm yeah. like, I should have started the company. Right. But I mean, I think when you see that someone's so passionate about something and it's so real, right. that it hits differently. You know, when I, I was out covering a fire or a murder, it's hard to be passionate about that.
0: It's also this has value. I think value and meaning, like Victor Frankel, Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. he taught purpose of man is not happiness but it's meaning finding meaning in the world because you saw people in the holocaust who were happy and then they went into what the hell they went into and they lost their whole identity but people who found meaning and find meaning in life are able to withstand even the horrors of something like that Mm -hmm. so i think that the fact that you found your calling it's not just something you're passionate about like you know a person can be passionate about selling pocketbooks online but if you're passionate about something of value and meaning and you're bringing that forward, bringing the narrative forward, I think that that also speaks volumes to what you're doing, because, and that's why you're successful at what you're doing, because the value and meaning you're giving is just tremendous. Thank you, I appreciate it. It's a tremendous thing to give, like, to give people in the darkness. People feel dark today. People have everything. People are not, thank God, in the yeah. Holocaust, and they still feel dark. So to provide like a light in that darkness for them of meaning and value when people actually experience real horrors and real things, not to diminish anyone's problems today, but you're giving them something that they understand that even in such a horrific situation, people have come out of it and build lives and Mm -hmm. build families and your existence. Well, I try to
1: also make my work like not all doom and gloom, right? I like to, I like to, there is positivity, right? There are Mm. stories of strength and survival and... Uh, I, I love to end my stories on the legacies they leave behind in terms of how many kids and grandkids they oh, had, and um, I just you know it doesn't always have to be this sad tale. You right. can educate in a different way, and but I'm always experimenting, right? I always right. I might post something that does really well on Instagram and something that doesn't, and it's all I'm learning, right? Like right. what what resonates the most with people.
0: What have you found that resonates the most?
1: Um, so it's funny the not I shouldn't say it's funny, but. The survivors who have tattoos, Mm. their videos get more engagement than anything else. Really? Because, you know, I grew up with a survivor with a tattoo, so it's not so rare for me. But I I don't realize that there are so many people who have never, not only never met a survivor, but never seen a survivor with a tattoo. You just brought up
0: a story to me that resonates with me so much. My grandfather, I'm an American boy all the way back, so thank God my family really wasn't touched directly by the Holocaust, per se. I'm in a breakfast, like, I don't know, they, they don't have, exist anymore, dinette, like lunch net type place, mm-hmm. breakfast special type, greasy spoon slash, you know, not bad, but in Queens with my grandfather, they live in Queens. My grandmother and my grandfather used to take me to this place called the Lollipop Diner, not kosher. And we used to go all the time, and there was like a little like, like, um, like five and dime place, I used to buy baseball cards and like stuff that I used to take me to buy a GI Joe figure, or Star Wars, whatever I wanted there. And one time we're leaving the restaurant, and there's a man diagonally across from me in the restaurant, and I see his sleeve is rolled up. And I see the number on his arm. And I say to my grandfather, my, you have poppy? Mine was Papa. I said, Pop. I said, See in the Holocaust. Because I knew about it. Like, I don't know how. I mean, I was very interested in World War II history. And again, I grew up with like Holocaust education and things like that in Jewish. And then he's like, Yeah, don't look at him. But my fa- grandfather, and I looked, I looked at the, the number on his arm, and the man was not embarrassed of it. And it was like so shocking to see it to me. So, it was so shocking to see it. And I was just like, I was blown away. This man sitting next to me in like a place I was very familiar with, in my environment. It's like this dinette place, luncheonette, wherever we used to go to. And seeing a man from the Holocaust like at the table next to him was so real. It brought it all like very present. Mm-hmm. Like I had known about it. Seeing this man, I don't know, it like couldn't have been older than like fourth grade tops. I got young, much younger. And to see it was unbelievable. And it just resonated with me so much. And I believe my grandfather on the way out, like, gave my grandfather was a neighborhood man. So he gave the man, you know, like a, a, a hello and a wave and like, have a good day, enjoy your breakfast type thing. And uh, he showed him like a, a respect. My grandfather was like a neighborhood. He'd say hello to everybody. Everyone knew his name when he walked into the bank in this, this Queens old neighborhood. And that resonated with me so much. So to think that that today is resonating with like the Instagram crowd or wherever, that that's what gets people. It got me. It got me probably 40 years ago, and still gets people, because it's like, I guess, impact.
1: Even just, I am talking to a major organization that's um, bringing me and a survivor in to speak for a diversity and inclusion seminar that they're working on, and I said I have, you know, our our younger survivors, the ones who oftentimes were in hiding, or they were babies during the war, uh, they are our most articulate just because they are the younger ones, Mm -hmm. and the organization said no we really really would love to see you know an Auschwitz survivor someone with a tattoo and I couldn't understand and and now now I do you right get I, I get it. Um, it it really is so rare and so unique and those are also the oldest survivors because right. anyone who survived Auschwitz is because they were you know 17 18 19 right. and like my poppy and they were fit enough to work and uh, they're they're all you know about to hit a hundred in the late wow. 90s. My so tells about, about your, to turn 101. Tell us
0: about him. I was going to ask you now. Like, say, like, tell me about him. Yeah. Tell us about his story. So What's his personal story? He is a force story? of your nature.
1: Uh, he's your maternal, about, grandma, my, fa- your maternal yeah. grandfather? So when, when's this podcast being published, you know?
0: Uh, whenever I get around he to it. <laughs> so
1: he turns 101 next week, which oh, is going to be March 12. 8th.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Thank you. Um, and wow. he is just so with it mentally and physically. If I even Amazing. have just a shred of his genes, um, I, I would be so grateful. Beautiful. Um, he's, he's incredible. He was born in Pultusk, Poland, which I always mispronounce. It's either Pultusk, Pultusk, I don't know how they pronounce it, P-U-L-T-U-S-K. Uh, it's about a half hour or an hour north of Warsaw, okay. Poland's capital. I actually visited it uh, this, this town when I went back. I went to the town hall. And that's where I found my Poppy's birth certificate along with five of his siblings, and they let me touch the original parchment. So oh, I touched wow. my great grandfather's signature. I was trying to smell it, and, and and it was just it was incredible. And I felt so connected to them when I was there. And little Aaron was one of the five that I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Poppy was one of eleven siblings. Wow. Two of them died before the war. Mm-hmm. One fell out of a cradle, mm-hmm. and one was run over by a horse and buggy. Oh, yeah. I just oh to think of how different life was Ugh, that those are even right, possible right. Uh, uh, deaths is uh, terrible. And my poppy, just in recent years before I went to Poland, I said, "Tell me stories of you know from before the war," and he remembered when um, when his his brother died, uh, who got run over by, by the horse and buggy, that the father wrapped talus, his body and they all walked together to the cemetery to bury him. And I just like I try to visualize this family walking what through this. Tr- it's just horrific.
0: What number was your poppy of the children?
1: Uh, my poppy was. um oh I have it written down. I'll tell you right now. Uh, that's I, how they, I that's, have a note section like. That's the very traditional. That's all. the very
0: traditional way people were buried, I and mean, they're still buried in Israel's without a coffin. They're buried in a talis. Uh,
1: so I didn't know that. Yeah. So I th- assume we, that they just w- couldn't afford. No,
0: no, that's exactly the. That's the proper kosher so way. So they just in, in New the York State just, law. Just, right. Unfortunately, I've done a lot of funerals. Um, they're buried. They have to be buried in a coffin, and that's why in Judaism we use a simple box hmm. with. Maybe there's holes underneath it. Something. A lot of times you'll see there's holes. But in, in the Israel,
1: hole. they don't use a coffin. No,
0: they don't. They use a talis.
1: You just wrapped in a talis and
0: there's as like a stretcher and the person's body's there. Wow. So if you, you can see. Unfortunately, you can see funerals in Israel mm-hmm. and you see that they're wrapped in a talis and they're out and there's candles around and they do the service I and didn't then know they just that. carry them. Oh, and so them, that's that's well, a pro- so you know because it like, says the body so has become becoming contact with the earth. So you know, so you earth. know,
1: in here they have obviously closed coffin where where you know Christian. People have like open clothes. right? Right, right. Of course. So in Israel, you just see the body. No, it's
0: wrapped in a talus fully, wow. head to toe. Wow. You don't see the body. It says in the talus
1: even. Do they use multiple talus? No, they use. I mean,
0: if you have a, a not not like a scarf talus, but mm-hmm. like a traditional,
1: wow.
0: You know, like a chabad talus, They're yeah. big. They're right, like I, you I, know. I'm only
1: talking about death. <laughs> you're Holocaust. <all like, laughs> I know, and I'm but, a Holocaust storyteller. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the fact know. is, is is
0: it's it's, it's um. It says the body should come in contact with the ground. That's why. Uh-huh. That's why we do it that way. And in New York okay. State, the, the law that you have to have So
1: do the Orthodox community, are they very upset with the laws here? No,
0: because you could do it in a pine box, because uh-huh. the pine box will eventually go right. away. And right. eventually, that's okay. So
1: So I'm going to give all of his, I have the order of uh, sure. oldest youngest, yeah. and I'm going to say all their names because they all deserve Absolutely. to be heard. Um, so Gito. Mm-hmm. Uh, was his oldest sister then Avram I've heard it or Avraham or Avram they always pronounce it different Avromo I've heard him call him um, Yitzhak Simcha Rivka
0: Was Simcha a boy
1: or a girl? Simcha was a boy Okay, I, and he was one of uh, the four to survive Wow. Uh, Rivka Yosef so Yosef was the one who um, he ran across the street and mm-hmm. got run over by horses mm-hmm. um, then my papi Nusen Then Moisha, then Reuven. He's the one who died as a baby. Oh, he was the one that was carried to the cemetery Mm -hmm. that my poppy remembers. I guess, right, because Yosef passed before him, before he was born. Um, Chava and Aaron. Wow. Um, So my poppy is one, two, three, four, five, six. My poppy was the seventh. Do you know what?
0: Like, like ultra Orthodox family, civic Orthodox, or not, or just so or ultra. Know, to be honest, just, I don't really. What well, they call ultra today, uber I Orthodox. I don't
1: really <laughs> fully understand. To be honest, so right. like I, he makes it sound like they were incredibly, credibly religious, but right. then I look at photos and they. You can't tell. They didn't have no, but they didn't have um Payas, and- but Chabad
0: doesn't have us either. There's certain Hasidim that you can not see sometimes a bit of on their ear. There's all different types. In the old country, you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Because, so but
1: what's the difference between ultra-Orthodox and Hasidic?
0: So, I mean, ultra-Orthodox is kind of like, no offense, a media term for uh-huh. like Haredi Jews uh-huh. or like well, Black Hat Jews, like Orthodox. But, so. but for
1: anyone listening, what does that mean? What's so, of, Haredi? Also, what's Black Hat? So
0: in Hasidim are also Orthodox. They're ultra-Orthodox too.
1: Hasidim just means like observe Shabbat. No, no, no. no. no?
0: That's what Orthodox means.
1: Okay. Orthodox would mean that. Observe Shabbat keeps kosher. Shabbat, That's kosher, high,
0: ultra-Orthodox would be like the highest standards of that. Uh-huh. And Hasidic is kind of an offshoot of it that really focuses on the mystical teachings of Judaism. That is like really early Hasidism is rooted in Kabbalah mm-hmm. and Jewish mysticism. And in even in Hasidism, there's two kind of breakaway branches of the tree, sort of say. You have the Hasidim who are very isolated and who like live in their own bubble, sort of say, and very, you know, don't like interface with the outside world very much, and they might seem very, you know antiquated in their behaviors and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they kind of protect their traditions mm-hmm. by like the severing Sama, themselves from Satmar. And they, they sever themselves from the world, like Barabhart Jews generally speaking. And then you have the other branch of Hasidism, which is like Chabad, which says we are ultra ultra orthodox, but we go into the world to bring light to the world. We don't we're not on the defense, we're on the offense. Mm-hmm. We're protagonists for Jewish mysticism and spirituality. You don't think we have to put a fence around it to protect it. But rather, if we're constantly going outward, we're not worried about the mysticism being corrupted. And we want to share that mysticism with more and more Jews. Mm-hmm. We want to share the spiritual side of Judaism.
1: I'm always trying to explain yeah. Chabad to people. So there you go. Because, that's
0: that's like one way of looking at it in well, the spectrum of what Jews. Because then I tell people Jews. that
1: my, my daughter goes to Chabad school. They're like, oh, my God, you're so religious. And <laughs> but what I try to explain, this is how I, I think of Chabad and tell me if you're wrong, that Maybe you guys don't. observe you know fully, mm-hmm. but you're not insular in in your Correct. in col- the culture right and you are very open to all Jews of all backgrounds Correct. and all types of religious sects or levels and are just happy to have any type of Jew feel connected. Absolutely. That's and I think that's so beautiful. And even like my Chabad rabbi who, from Delaware, he'd be like drinking and partying with us. He's and, a partier. Yeah, I can't keep up. I is. was the only
0: one on my birth. I led a birthright tour with him. Yeah. And I'm the only one who could keep up drinking with him. A, All the other rabbis literally fell asleep. I went um, on like,
1: birthright mm, with him too. And three oh, well, Sinus scholarship. Yeah. He survived. I, I survived. <laughs> i I'm, I'm, I'm not so much of a party animal, but, yeah, I, but I have so my moment. That's a
0: great summary of Chabad. Absolutely. Right? That's a great way to put it. But but
1: I, even like at my wedding, I didn't want my shoulders covered because I just didn't want that. And I, want, I wanted shoulders. um I wanted men and women to sit together. Right, and good. and he allowed that. He right. said this isn't how I would do my wedding right. or my kids' weddings. That's but a great way to put but it. he Allowed that to happen where any other Hasidic rabbi from outside not, right, of Chabad right. would not have right. facilitated so a, I think a wedding. Like that. I
0: think it's you know it's not that Chabad is more lenient. I think it's that Chabad right. wants more accepting ev- of others n- and more like if you believe in the potential of the Jewish soul mm-hmm. rather than the body, and you say every Jewish soul should be connected to Torah on their level and be able to come to a proper Jewish wedding. Is the fact that the bride's shoulders are showing going to preclude that from happening? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. And like the fact that you were married in a, a quote-unquote, kosher ceremony by an Orthodox rabbi, a Hasidic Orthodox rabbi, and a great one at that, like that's amazing. And that affects generations. That affects your children and your children's children throughout generations. Mm -hmm. The fact that the, the wedding contract, the ketubah, was written and filled out properly. That's just, it, the impact of that on generations is is out of this world. And your soul carried forth into your children and their children's children all the way through because of that one small act of deciding Rabbi Snyderman's going to be my rabbi at my wedding. Because mm-hmm. I love him and he loves me. Well,
1: well he said... That's freshman, amazing. Freshman year of college, I said, you're going to marry me one day.
0: And oh, he, and he said amazing. that
1: at the wedding. Yeah. That's And, so and there he was. My so. first
0: wedding I ever did was also college students oh, when God. I was a rabbi on college campus. Where? in uh, Sunni Rockland nice. at RCC in Suffern, I was a professor, and I was the Chabad and the Hillel rabbi. I wore all the hats wow. on campus, yeah. It was, a, it was a very small college, and I was
1: <laughs> one big Why rabbi. Why you just make it one organization? So because hard. there was the
0: one the federation, and the board with this, and the board with that. And it was fine. It was, it was great for the time we were there. And I was also a professor, so it was like, and one of my students, she was a modern Orthodox girl, and she was dating a secular Jewish boy. And she's like, you know, my boyfriend would like to learn how to sit with you. He wants mysticism, spirituality. So I said, sure, let's study. So we started our own study group. And we used to study together. He'd come into my office. which moves. He'd wear his Yankee hat against his better judgment, because I'm a Red Sox fan. And he would come and study with me. And then after two years, they decided to get married. And his mother, which I didn't know this at the first was I believe a reform I don't know if she was a cantor or a rabbi. I think she was like a I don't know what she they called her. She didn't call her a rabbi. They didn't call her a cantor. They had like a title for her. And she was thrilled that her son was getting married by a Chabad rabbi Mm -hmm. to a modern Orthodox girl, a good Jewish girl. And that was my first wedding and that was uh, seventeen years ago. So yeah. So it's really special to see your like students grow up and get married and be there for them. and I've seen
1: him since, even though he's now in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's all over. But
0: that's amazing, though, that um, you understand. Oh, so you'll, you'll
1: appreciate this. So yeah. my my poppy's grandfather on his mom's side, so his maternal grandfather, was the chief rabbi of Stanislavov, which was a city outside of Warsaw. Do you know his name? Yes. So we um, could look it up
0: well, after the podcast, but like in the
1: Tan scene. So I have to assume so you could that find if, out, if he was the chief rabbi that obviously it was Hasidic and not No
0: not necessarily. Like, so really? there was a lot of towns in Europe had a Hasidic rabbi mm-hmm. and a non Hasidic Orthodox rabbi. There would be two Orthodox rabbis. Because the Hasidic had their own mystical grave, ways. I have, I have his and uh, the other rabbis had their own his,
1: his um, gravestone. Oh you
0: can wow! See it. it's, it's, it's so you could probably look him up and yeah. find out what, what kind of. Say, but I come from, a, from like, and he was a scholar. He wrote books, amazing. and
1: then his his son, so my poppy's uncle, was then the chief rabbi after him. So it's very cool. I also amazing. think about all the time that like I come from this Orthodox, right. like scholarly lineage, yeah, sure. um, and it's just uh, you know
0: what they say use it or lose it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll be using it, but no, but
0: I'm saying I'm raising your yeah. children in a Jewish way and making sure they marry Jews, then that's that keeps that traditional alive. That keeps it. So, how did your poppy get to America? How did he get here? You know?
1: So, well, I didn't even tell you his, his story, oh. though. So, he right. was in a ghetto. He was in a forced labor camp. Uh, he was then in Auschwitz for more than two years, where he was face to face with notorious Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele, who yeah. selected him to work. Um, and he he witnessed, you know, uh, I was just telling someone yesterday, he um, was in an Auschwitz subcamp for a while called Yavorshno, and there were 18 Czech. Uh, Czech prisoners who were mostly non jewish who had been uh, they were political prisoners at the camp with him, and they had spent time building an underground uh, escape from their barracks out to outside the camp and they were actually almost complete with it, and they were caught, and all eighteen were hanged in front of every prisoner at the oh camp my goodness. and over the loudspeakers they said, you know this is what's going to happen if you try to disrespect oh us." My. And my poppy had to watch that. And if you looked away, they said that if you looked away, they would shoot you, and they forced mm-hmm. everyone to watch. And uh, that's one story my poppy could never get out. And he said that they started singing the Czech national anthem and that they were screaming, like, these stories will not be forgotten because everyone who's witnessing today, like, we ask you to keep the story alive. And my poppy shares that mm-hmm. story um, in honor of those 18 men. Um, also, his brothers, uh, Yitzhak and Avromo, they tried to escape a forced labor camp that they were in. They ran away and they were both shot and killed. I believe one had to bury the other and then the other was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and my poppy found that out later on from another brother who had been with them. Um, and my papi also had a very near death experience. I always tell this one. He was at a forced labor camp called Colmar near the German border, I believe in the city of Colmar, um, before Auschwitz. And he was tasked with working in the sewer system. And he found rotten potatoes down there. And every few weeks, the Germans, the guards made. Uh, Jews take off, all, the prisoners take off all of their uniforms and throw them in a big pot of boiling water to disinfect their clothing, more so to keep the Germans from getting sick from whatever you know they were supervising. Um, and my poppy, would he found a way to tie in the potatoes that he found, the raw potatoes, into the pocket of his thin uniform, and he had some extra nourishment each time this happened. He was caught, told to start digging his own grave, had him lay down when he was almost done and said it doesn't you know it's not big enough yet keep digging keep digging and when he was almost done a prisoner nearby collapsed probably from starvation dehydration whatever um they shot that man and threw him in my poppy's grave and said to my poppy in german isn't today your lucky day so he lived his whole life with that relief and guilt at the same time and imagine that man had not collapsed, my poppy would have been in that grave. I would not be here today. So I, I just always think of these stories of how he persevered. He never gave up. So, like, how could I not work to keep his memory alive? That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. You've been amazing. And uh, we could keep going for like. I could go on we could and go on and on and on. And on, on, and on. on. So just. Your poppy got married when he came to America. Yes, so
1: he uh, met my grandma on the beach in Orchard Beach in the Bronx, which was like <laughs> a cool, like Jewish hangout back then, I think. Um, and it, how and many children did they have? They had two children, and one is your mom. Um, and they're both named. One's my mom, um, and she's named Sharon after my poppy's mom, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And um, my my was named Jay or Yitzhak, after my poppy's father, um, which is that Yankiel or uh young j-a-n-k-i-e-l i don't know but jay was named my uncle jay was Mm -hmm. named after him so that was kind of nice that he had one a boy and a girl named after both his parents and that
0: brings us to you and your beautiful children Yeah, so my pop
1: my uncle has two daughters and i have two daughters and my mom had two daughters Mm -hmm. so four grandkids and we already have four great-grandkids for my poppy and it's just amazing what he's created
0: Dana, thank you so much for coming on. This thank was you. Amazing. This is so
1: fun. I could keep talking to you. Uh, absolutely. Because you have going such to... a cool story too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. She knows my. One day I'll just interview myself on here, and uh you should. Tell I mean, my do, narrative. do. a lot of people know
1: that you're so Balshuva, is that yeah, you pronounce Yeah. it? Yeah.
0: It comes up. Yeah, and my my, my community knows it, mm-hmm. and uh, you my, know that I wasn't raised religious. Not, yeah. So now your followers will know that I wasn't raised religious. I became religious when I was 23. And you can follow this space for my story <laughs> coming up. But, uh, yeah, I became more, I raised completely secular American boy on Long Island. And I went to Michigan. Dix
1: Hills, right? Dix
0: Hills, Obeth Page, Plainview, Dix Hills, at Queens originally. And then uh, I became religious about two years after I graduated college in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So that's a long, long story. Yeah. And, and, that, and uh,
1: that's why you and my husband, you're both Michigan Michigan men. That's right, Michigan men. Go blue. Absolutely. Go blue. He's trained me
0: yeah i'm sure he has we have that reputation of training mm-hmm. our, uh, our spouses and children yeah. in the ways of michigan yeah. absolutely
1: um i do have to use this opportunity to Go, let please. all the viewers know that our listeners know that uh, we rely majority on donations to absolutely. keep our center running to pay our salaries um, if you want to keep me here a long time, please do- <laughs> please donate or just let people know that we exist. Absolutely.
0: Um, Wonderful, worthy GMT cause. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to keep me going too, you also have to, <laughs> <Yeah>. have to, <laughs> also have to donate to Chabad, I know. Hashem, a lot of Jewish girls should go to a lot of good Jewish causes like yes. the Holocaust Memorial, like Chabad, like Miyad, like all of the. Amazing institutions that uh, we're privileged to be part of, and I'm, I'm just glad to share this time with you, Dana. Thank because you. Because it's special to me to bring a, a, your voice onto my mm-hmm. forum, and hopefully to bring my voice to yours as well. Thank so you. it's great. You'll share
1: all my social media links. Absolutely, because Dana put it Arshin, A R S C H I N. I'll put morning. it in the
0: description. Thank you so much for coming. Thank on, you, Dana. everyone,
1: for listening. I Thank really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It. This
0: was Chabad House Conversations with Dana Arshin. I hope you enjoyed please feel free to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you digest your podcasts from, YouTube as well. And uh, please like, share, and uh, give us your feedback. And if you'd like to be a guest on Chabad House Conversations, please hit me up, and uh, we'd love to have you on. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day.